Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhered Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. To have Than, he runs the YouTube channel Exploring Reality. Than, what's up, man? How you doing? Nothing much. Just tired and busy. <laughs> yep, as, as all human beings are. So awesome, man. So today we're going to be talking about like a fresh and fun case for God is what I titled it. So Than's done a little bit of work trying to um, use some other work and use some of his own work to like build a case for like God's existence. So we're going to kind of just like talk through this argument. But Than, before we get into all the big fun stuff, Tell me a little bit about like who you are and what you do. Yeah. Um, so my, my name's Than Christopoulos. Uh, I'm married. I have two kids. Uh, I'm a Christian. And I think I like to start talking about that first, just to kind of point out the fact that I'm not just this guy that likes to think about Christianity and theology and all this other stuff. Um, uh, I started this nonprofit, Exploring Reality, just because I saw a need in the church uh, to have kind of a raising of the bar in terms of apologetic content. Um, there's a lot of surface value stuff that's really important, but uh, there's a need for a deeper dive. And there seems to be a, a gap between super pop level academics and that little spot right here that people need help with. So the main point of my ministry is just to kind of help um, educate Christians and get to that next level to be apologists in their own personal lives. Um, one of my recent taglines, I guess, is um, helping the needy intellectually, because I've had a lot of people, especially like younger kids say, like, they don't feel like called in this area. And so I was asked, like, well, do you have a more obligation to kind of help the needy physically, financially, whether they're hungry, or they need a shelter or whatever it might be, and they'll say yes. And then the question then is like, well, what about the needy who the only thing stopping them from crossing that line to giving their life to Christ is just some sort of intellectual barrier. Um, do you have a more obligation to prepare yourself for that? And yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. And you also have that YouTube channel exploring reality, which is added in this YouTube description. So you can check out the content there. Lots of great stuff. And I appreciate what you're doing. And I think I have probably similar aims to you, except I don't really have as clear cut of like a goal. I just kind of like, Oh, let's just make stuff. And, See yeah. what happens. Um, but maybe today, like to start off, can you just talk about? Let's talk about like the beauty of truth. Um, maybe it's good, like jumping in. Like, why should we care about truth in the first place? Yeah, I mean, well, I I think from my perspective, um, I I think truth is valuable. First of all, um, there's a there's a lot of value in holding true propositions over false ones, um, especially. And I, I think the atheist or the theist or the Christian can agree with that. Um, it makes life more meaningful and it gives you somewhat of a better purpose, at least when you're doing the day to day stuff. Right. Um, so I think, I think it's just valuable to do that, but I also think a lot of greater goods come out of just collective mutual seeking of truth as well. Mm. Yeah. I think that's helpful. Then. So one of the things that like really hit me when I was thinking about truth is I was listening to some, um, Jordan Peterson thing. I don't like everything he says, but like one thing you, that really got me was just, he was talking about like, why do you even get out of bed in the morning? Mm -hmm. um, like he talks about like one of the greatest miracles, like is just that we get out of bed in the morning thinking about like meaning and purpose and things like this. And it was yeah. like, to me, like it hit me as I was listening to that and reflecting on that. I'm just like truth, like to understand the world and like that really drives like why I get out of bed in the morning. Like if you look at like a theistic worldview, uh, maybe like living your life and things like this, you're going to have a different view on like, um, the importance of truth and nature of truth, like understanding truth. Um, if you come from it from like a theistic way versus like an atheistic way. So yeah. I found that super valuable. I, I also think it's, I think being a truth seeker is a really high virtue. Um, 
not to get like too deep into <laughs> stuff like Swinburne might talk about here, but um, I think truth seeking can also cause a lot of fear. Uh, I wasn't always a Christian. I was an atheist most of my life. Right. And um, tr seeking truth was scary for me because as an atheist, I didn't want there to be a God. And now as a Christian, seeking truth is scary because I don't want to be wrong in my beliefs in God because now I'm really comfortable in my beliefs as a Christian. So it's a kind of a double-edged sword on both ends right there, too. And I think a lot of character growth happens when we start seeking truth, and that's our aim. I think for Christians, like, at least, like, the way I see it, especially now, um, is you don't even have to, like, to be a Christian, you don't need to be, like, fully even convinced that, like, Christianity is true. And what I mean by that is, like, you don't need, like, what, even if it was possible to have, like, 100% certainty to, like, be, like, a committed Christian. Like, you can be, like, mm -hmm. you can have days where, like, I don't know, um, like, Christian commitment and this idea of, like, you know, like, you act like you believe, like, God exists. Like, in yeah. terms of, like, um, like praying or, like, going to church or things like this, um, you can do this even if you have days where you, like, really doubt things. I'm not saying like Christians should all be frauds. Like you should admit if you really don't think it's true, but it allows for you to like pursue truth in a more like honest way. I think knowing that mm -hmm. like you can be committed to something, even if you're not completely sure it's true. Like, for example, I'm committed to like being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, even if they're getting slaughtered and we don't have a quarterback next year. And I think we're going to be in a lot of trouble. I'm still committed. I'm still on board <laughs> and I'm going to be cheering them on no matter what happens. And in a similar way, they're not like perfectly in line. Like I think Christians can have that same like feeling, like even in, if it doesn't seem like everything's in our favor one day, we can still have that Christian commitment and that trust. Um, and yeah. it allows us to be like intellectually honest with ourselves. I really think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, whenever I'm talking to just uh, general non-Christians, like if I'm on like on a TikTok live or just out on the streets or anything, I, I the first one of the first things I'm ready to admit is I don't have a hundred percent credence in my Christian position. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and, I, and I'm fine admitting that because Christian theology allows for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and I think it's no, really important to, to kind of show that humility. Mm -hmm. It'd be hard to find someone besides for like Jesus, um, who has a hundred percent credence that Christianity is true. I don't think you'd have that because yeah. even like the great Christian thinkers, um, like they have doubts and they turn away from God. Um, they have struggles and things like that. Like look at Thomas, like walking. Um, you don't even need Thomas. Like someone even like Peter, um, who walks with God and Christ and things like this, and then has these like intense moments of like doubt and questioning. So yeah, yeah. So maybe then, Than, it'd be great to turn towards like building your case for a foundation. So do you yeah. talk a little bit about like what you're thinking here, with like trying to explain like why we would have to think there'd be some sort of foundation? Yeah. So uh, before I even get to that point, like and I'll, I'll, I'll make it really short here. Um, my, my biggest inspirations really when it comes to my case are going to be I'm going to be pulling a lot from uh, Rasmussen and Swinburne. Um, so I'm sure everybody here is going to be somewhat familiar with their work. Uh, you've had Rasmussen on here before. And mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I do, at least in the beginning of my book, is talking about um, how powerful the tool reason is. And that probably sounds very Rasmussen-ish even itself. Um, but just kind of showing people the like the safety rails that logic itself has um, in place to make us not make mistakes when we're using reason. So that's the first thing I always like talk about. But then, yeah, so um, the way I kind of go about things is just a very simple contingency argument where I leave open a lot of different things. So um, do you want me to kind of just give the argument or where do, you, where do you want to go with this? Yeah, I think we could go to the argument. I think I want to say, like, first off, um, we had a super chat. So from Tam Chris, thank you so much for your work. Today. Thank you so much for the super chat. Always appreciate your support of 200 or whatever currency that is. No clue. Um, whatever it is, thank you so much. Anything helps. Really grateful for your support. 
Awesome. Yeah, maybe kind of get into like your argument, Dan. Yeah. Well, actually, wait. Let me just say something here. Um, just to interrupt because I had this conversation on Tuesday, and it kind of got me really thinking about like the idea of like a foundation and what this means. Um, so I was having this conversation with a couple people. They have no background in like apologetics, theology, yeah. Bible, philosophy, anything like this. We're just talking, and one of them asked me. They're like, "So why are there dinosaurs?" Uh, no, that wasn't it. It was like, we had dinosaurs, but like now humans exist. So like, why is there humans? And I was like, and these people weren't necessarily Christians. I was like, okay, well, there's different views. Like some people would say that like God created them. Some would mm -hmm. say that like there's some sort of evolutionary process this happened. And it's like the kid, um, the person, not the kid, the person that asked me this question was like, okay, well, if God created dinosaurs, like who created God? And yeah. I'm like, well, that'd just be the end of the explanation. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm like, well, someone would also like say like the universe is just like the end of explanation. Yeah. Um, so at least for me, like I bring this up just when thinking about like the foundation is we're trying to find that thing. If there is a thing that just has no explanation, that's just there. Um, right. So I just wanted to bring that in. Yeah. So I, I usually start off with just definitions. And um, for instance, with the contingency argument, we're talking about a lot of modality here. So contingent, I just tell Pete, I just say it's something that could fail to exist, cease to exist um, or not exist at all. And and or then I add in the fact that like it's this object would be something that's different in that could be different in like a possible world. It's like this pen, right? Um, this is contingent. It could fail to exist, cease to exist. But also it's like possible that this either in a, some some type of different possible world, this was a red pen, right? Um, and then by contrast, something necessary would just be something that cannot not exist. And it exists in all possible worlds. Um and it doesn't exist in a different way in all possible worlds. And a lot of that stuff is like even uh, even some philosophers might contest that, but that's just kind of the way I see things. Mm, super helpful. So we have this idea of like contingent things, like things that have like explanations. So like how do you kind of like build up to there being some sort of like foundation or like necessary explanation? Yeah. So then we, we pretty much start off our first premise with that like observation statement, right? Contingent things exist. Um then I would just say that uh, I, I kind of give two different, depending on who I'm talking to, different two different explanatory principles. Um, so one might be something like just all contingent things have an explanation for their existence. Um, but if I'm talking to more like a philosophically inclined person, I might change it to something like for any contingent thing, we should expect an explanation for it. Um, and so do you get the you get the difference between those two? Mm -hmm. like that we would expect or versus like there are an explanation yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's like for instance like for every single math problem that you're given you at least expect an like an answer to the math problem and the reason mm -hmm. why is probably just because of the same reasons why we would expect some sort of explanatory principle like you have um, daily affirmation of the principle being true you don't have any experience of the affirmation of the negation of that principle um, and then you could even go into some kind of skeptical argument by saying, like, if you deny that, then all of a sudden, how do you know if any math <laughs> problem is going to have any answer? So you get the point there. Um, so I kind of change it up depending on who I'm talking to. The, the, the crew that I would give that, like, I, we should expect an explanation for is would be anybody that's, like, going to try to posit brute facts instead of a necessary being. Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful thinking about, like, I think most people would like agree there's something necessary, even if they don't like say it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying like people are dishonest. It's just sometimes I think it's like phrased the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so like when we're getting to like the idea of there being something necessary, we're just talking about something that has to exist. So like maybe you want to say like 
the universe just has to exist. It just had mm-hmm. to be there. Or maybe like matter energy or like a yeah. quantum state, something like that. I, um, I leave that all open in the first stage mm-hmm. of the argument. Yeah. yeah. I think most people do that bring these arguments in. Um, that's why like, I even like, it's like if you read like Proust um, in the block, I believe he says there's like a necessary being, um, but I don't even like to say being because I just feel like it brings in a it lot of baggage people. where um, people are like, oh, wait, so it's a person. Like that's what you're assuming. Yeah. But, like that's not like when when they mean it. Um, and most people, when they say that, like they, that's not necessarily what they mean is like a personal being. We just have more work to do to get there. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I always tell people straight up, it's just whatever this art, like at the end of the argument, right? I always, I always just say whatever this necessary being is I leave open. Like I don't even argue for causal finitism here. Cause I, th- I still think like an infinite chain of contingency still needs to be con- explained. And so, yeah. And so that third premise to the argument is just like a non-circularity premise. It's just saying that the totality of contingent things cannot be explicable by contingent things. So the, the typical analogy I use is just, let's say my fist represents the set of all contingent things, logically speaking, by definition, there cannot be a there cannot be a contingent thing outside of the set. Otherwise, it would not. This would not be the set of all contingent things. This would be the set of almost all contingent things, right? Mm-hmm. And so, we're the whole point here is just that we're looking for some sort of external explanation, and we don't want to uh, commit ourselves to some sort of circular explanation. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to think about it like. This is just a different formulation, but if everything that exists just like was had to be caused into existence, it seems like there's like no explanation then for like why anything exists at all because it all be dependent on something else. But if everything's dependent, um, there's no explanation like for why there's anything in the first place. Um, you have to have some sort of like independent thing that exists. Um, going back to like where you look at and you ask the question of like why does this thing exist, you're like, well, that's it. That's the end of the explanation. Um, instead of like the idea of like having yeah. like everything has an explanation for its existence. Um, unless you want to say. I'm, and I'm looking. I'm explaining like a causal explanation as well. Yeah, yeah, here. yeah. So even with this contingency argument, I leave open if whether it's like a a, a cause, like a dependent, uh, a determinate cause, indeterminate cause, or even some sort of grounding explanation. I'm I'm fine leaving that all open, um, just for the sake of this argument. Um, but then from there, it just kind of logically follows, right? That something necessary exists. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What that necessary thing is. Um, totally open up to interpretation. I have a lot of tools that I try to bring into the conversation after the fact. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a pretty basic formulation. Um, some objections might be, like I said, like, well, what about an infinite set of contingency? And I would just say that contingency only has the tools to build more contingency. So you could have an infinite set of contingency A, but then an infinite set of contingency B, they're different. So now you have to ask, well, why did the infinite set of contingency a actualize um, instead of any other possible world or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful. Cause like when I first got into like philosophy apologetics, I used to like really be like concerned and thinking about like, does like basic big bang cosmology show like there, like there's like a finite beginning or like, please show like mm-hmm. from like the words tell or something like that. There we go. Past is finite. Yeah. Um, but like discovering like these contingency arguments, like you're talking about here at the end really helped me to like, see, like, I don't even have to defend that. So like I don't even try to like try to, I don't even try to defend really causal finitism anymore. I might just yeah. say I say it's a simpler view, um, but I'm not like really interested in like trying to show like it, the past has to be finite. Yeah, um, to argue for God. I'm just like okay, well we can leave that open because um, we can use an argument like you have here, and I think it's helpful for getting where we really want to get. Um, yeah, and arguing that God exists. Yeah, exactly. I I I will defend causal finitism, and I'll my 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 like official position is on that at least that it's probably true. 
like the mm -hmm. arguments point me in that direction and my intuition says that as well but it's not something that's so important to me that i'm gonna take more time on it than i need to mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so for me it's the theology like for me like it's like as a christian like it's definitely clear that god created the universe um and then like looking at the arguments for that i'm like well i think they're good but they're not like to me they're not super super persuasive though i'm not like super in depth and all that stuff um fair so. enough yeah yeah so, so i was gonna say if you're ready we could talk about like going from necessary being to god yeah so um again a lot of this is going to be if you're familiar with rasmussen or swinburne's work this is going to be very similar to that um so at this point we've we're all in agreement that there's a necessary being something necessary that explains all contingent reality now we want to ask well what is this thing and so uh, i borrow one of rasmussen's arguments here and it's just the, he calls it the chicken argument um so it just goes like this um um, and we'll just let N here. Anytime I say the word, the letter N, it just refers to the necessary being. Um, premise one, chickens are, are, chickens are contingent and dependent. Premise two, N is not contingent or dependent. Therefore, N is not a chicken. And so and it might seem like really trivial, trivial at first, but um, I think this is really cool just because we can kind of swap out chickens with race cars. We can swap out chickens with ravioli and whatever we want to just keep on rolling and rolling and rolling. And then now we went from having this huge range of possibilities and candidate hypotheses for what N could be. And this really helps us narrow things down. Um, and it kind of just helps people that aren't used to thinking this way kind of get a scope for what it is that we're trying to look for. Mm. it is helpful because we look at like dependent things like chickens or, like bringing forth like this water bottle like mm -hmm. stuff like that and like we obviously know like this isn't like the kind of like um like foundation um yeah. so it helps us like kind of clarify like what are we looking for when we're looking for like an explanation of all things um because it's going to like narrow our scope and kind of look at like well it's not like going to be some like small trivial contingent object or that'd be big of the question it's just like some small trivial object like it's gonna be something Bigger than that, that can explain everything, or may have magic artichokes. As says. <laughs> uh, that's probably more right. But yeah, I, I, I'm on the same page as you here. Yeah, that just made me laugh because he made he was making a reference to something else. That's all uh, wow, from a I debate of mine. References. <laughs> I, I know I had a debate where you remember uh, when Craig debated. Oh, who was it? Uh, when the guy that said the supercomputer thing. I don't know. Long story short, Craig was like, oh, we have the spaceless, timeless, immaterial cause. And Craig was like trying to say it's God. And then his interlocutor said, well, I just think it's a supercomputer. And then they got into this whole game where Craig was saying, well, you're just kind of read You're just giving God a different name at this point and keeping the mm -hmm. attributes. Yeah. Um, I had a recent debate where the guy did the same thing. And but instead of a supercomputer, called it a magic artichoke. <laughs> so Jono was there and he just that's that was that's what the, that's why I laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um anyway, so yeah, I think this is really helpful. It just kind of helps us identify what kind of things we should and shouldn't be looking for. So from there, um again another Rasmussen argument and I there's a few different formulations I like to use, uh, but I just the one I prepared for today is just a, a very simple one. Um and so the first premise is just, it's the same. So this argument's pretty much the same exact um, build, I guess you can call it, as the contingency argument. 
So there are limited things. And so what I mean by limited or limits here, I'm just saying that things have limits, right? Quantifiable limits. My phone has limits as to its dimensions, how much mass it takes, its volume. Even you could put quantifiable limits to how much battery it can hold. You get the point. Um, and so for all these limits, there seems to be some sort of explanation to, to those limits, right? Like why they have the limits they do, even if it's not related to who made them. Um, we could talk about like the the molecular density of the of what they used to make the phone and talk about why there's certain like limits on the phone as to how much pressure it can take, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then for the uh, explanatory principle, again, I'm going to that same two options for the explanatory principle, whether we're going to say all limits have explanations or for every limit that we have, we should expect an explanation. Then we go back to the totality of limited things is not explicable by limited things. So we have this conclusion that there is this fundamentally unlimited thing that lacks arbitrary limits. And so N would have to, and then so we at that point, then we're thinking, well, like, well, if N is going to have no arbitrary limits or any limits that it does have, it's not going to have any external limits since nothing would be explaining N since it's necessary. And so any any limits that it does have, like for instance, if it has a if it's if it lacks a certain property, that lacking of a certain property might be explained by a more fundamental property. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, any questions on that? I, I didn't want to go like too deep into that because that's just that's just a conversation you could have for like another hour right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see our last conversation with Josh Rasmussen if you want to see us talking about limits for an hour. Um, Fair enough. Club. Yeah, that was a but good like, episode. Yeah, thanks. So, like, I share this, like, intuition with you. Like, I like to think about it as, like, what's more likely. So, like, we think about, like, the different, like, candidates for, like, what the foundation is. It seems like any foundation that has some sort of, like, brute limit, like, maybe it's, like, five particles or it's, like, these cubes mm -hmm. or, like, something like this. Like, that's going to be less preferred than an explanation that doesn't have these, like, limits. Um, so, if you look at, like, the theistic explanation of, like, God, well, it seems like we're not going to have, like, maybe, like, geometric limits or, like, numerical mm -hmm. limits, um, things like this. So, like, it seems like to me, like, like theism is going to have this, like, big advantage here when we're looking at, like, yeah. limits. Because a lot of the limits that, like, the atheist is going to have to propose, like, whatever their candidate foundation is, like, we don't have to pose those. Um, yep. And I think that's when it's helpful to, like, talk about, like, what's our different theories here and just comparing theories. So, yep. I just like to say, I like, I like this argument a lot. No, I, and I'm, I'm a big fan of it, especially because once you want to go into like the, the more Bayesian approach of identifying what this necessary being is like every limit that you do have on there that isn't explained, it takes away from the explanatory power and the simplicity of the hypothesis as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So, so from there, my next move that I typically make was, it's just going to be talking about, well, we can make we can make a pretty valid inference here. So if N has some sort of cause or it just explanatory power itself to explain all contingent things, it just means it has power. Power, I don't mean anything fancy here. I'm just saying it has the the power to produce an effect. And so if this if N is unlimited in any quantifiable properties and it has power, well, now we're at omnipotence. And so now we're going from a wide net like this to a wide net to a more narrow net. And so now we kind of, now we can, at this point we can ask questions like, well, what sort of thing, what sort of things are out there that could be a necessary thing that is unlimited in power? Um, 
at this point, it, I would say you're rational in, in, in saying that the theism is the better explanation than non-theism. Mm. Um, but we, th there's a lot more that we can actually do from here too. But any, any questions on that? Yeah, no, I think like for me, like when you get to power, like if you accept the argument from arbitrary limits, you're gonna have a really hard time saying that like, well, it's not limited, but it has like a limited amount of power. Um, so yeah. I, like, I think for the atheist, like your best move um, would be like just to try to challenge the argument from arbitrary limits. Yeah, exactly. Power, like I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's just, it's gonna be really hard because if you're admitting that like, well, like limits have explanations, um, well, like limited power surely would also have an explanation then. So it seems like you'd just be better off like, denying the second argument if you come from that yes i i think the best move for the atheist here would be to attack that argument from arbitrary limits um and we could talk about even objections to that i can pull some of my some of my mm -hmm. stuff up that i have on there if you want yeah um it's up to you well maybe we can get into that if we have some time i mean i'd recommend people like um i had a conversation with josh which was all in the arbitrary limits we talked about things like the trinity um or like god's choice of creating a universe like is that arbitrary limited or things yeah. like that um so we covered that in a previous episode maybe we'll get to it if yeah. we have time if there's like viewer questions um but yeah fair enough we'd be good to go to the next part cool um so then from there there's a lot of moves you can make um because i granted these these next moves are the more uh, I guess contestable ones, right? So, for instance, um, I, I like I'm a mathematical realist, and so I'm going to argue for that. It's a moral realist, so I'm going to argue for that, right? Um, but what I have, what I at least have prepared for today is just kind of going from moral realism. So, um, like I said, this is where things can get really hard and complicated and really contestable. And I, I kind of want to be the I want to I want to be the first person to admit that these arguments are like this part's defeasible. Um, I think you can rationally just object to these and kind of find different commitments that you can hold to and still be rational and justified in them. And I think it's just really important. You can kind of, you can probably hear the very Rasmussen inspiration in me right now just <laughs> talking, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important. So yeah, so I, I think there's tons of arguments for moral realism, this thesis that moral facts exist. So the proposition that, um, murder is wrong is objectively true, right? Um, there's stuff like the companions and guilt arguments, uh, the modal ontological arguments, even though Joe just did a video on that. There, there's, I, there's Morian arguments. I think, at least for me, the most convincing thing is just that I think it's obvious. Um, if I give you kind of two scenarios, a mother nursing her child and a mother murdering her child, I think that brings out this intuition in us that just makes it painfully obvious that one is good and one is bad. Um, and I think the best explanation of that intuition is that the art, there, there are these moral facts that we've come to apprehend, um, whether, whether or not it was like God who wrote them on our hearts, or we just kind of discovered them through the evolutionary process. I, I'd leave that open. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would. I don't have too much to add on moralism because, like, I have that same intuition as you. Like that. Um, like it's just obvious that like moral facts exist, and I think most. Well, not most people would say that's true. Like, there's a bunch of people that would deny it, but I do think that like when you think about the idea of objective moral truth, I think it is just. It's just very obvious. Like you talk about the example of like like killing a baby versus like loving a baby. Well, it's yeah. obvious that like one's wrong and the other's like very yeah. great, good. Um. And I think sometimes like people are very skeptical of moral realism. I think in like these circles, like yeah. I think it's because of Craig's argument, super influential. So I'm like, oh, we got to de deny those objective moral facts. We can't yeah. let Craig's argument run. Um, 
But I do think that, again, like, it's helpful to be accommodating, like, allowing for, yeah. like, hey, maybe there is an atheistic, like, theory. I personally, like, don't think there is. Um, but, for, like, for the sake of this conversation in this dialectic, I can grant it. Um, and it seems yeah. like to me, like, when we're having these conversations, the more we can, like, agree on is, like, a great good to have. Um, yeah. In making progress. No, I, I you're kind of the same in the same than I am too. Then because I I don't see an athe like an atheistic way to kind of hold to some sort of truth maker for these moral facts. Um, but I at least don't leave it open just for the sake of conversation because I I think the more the more humble and um I guess the more humble and open we are with our conversation pieces and the more we try to just kind of make as many what's the word i'm looking for i can't remember the word i'm looking for well, oh, i could no. say like as as you think about it like the intellectual virtue of just like love is so yeah. undervalued um because i see it like online and then in my in-person like interactions i have with people like people just want to be loved like yeah. i know so many people that just need love um and it doesn't mean you have to agree, like to love someone you don't have to agree with them on nope. really anything like you can still choose to love someone even yep. if they're on like complete opposite of like the political or the social or any of that mm -hmm. spectrum of you like love is something that like transcends like cultures and barriers and things like this yep. um so like in terms of intellectual virtues like we can just love each other like it doesn't mean we have to agree with you we can still say yep. what you're doing is wrong or what you think is wrong and still love someone um exactly so some reason i got on a tangent thinking about no that's totally fine i i completely agree and the word i was looking for is modesty the, like make modest claims and just make modest arguments and just be i think just being modest in general um and being open to the weaknesses of your argument also are really important so so yeah um more realism from there i would argue just in favor for like a, a model of more realism called privation theory where we're just going to say that um that good that when we're describing evil it's just a description of of the privation or perversion of good things right um so there's a few different arguments for that thesis um, um i think i actually talked to rasmussen uh, a few days ago or last week um and his some of his newer work on argument from arbitrary limits i was like you could use this for like an argument for privation theory and so Rasmussen's like kind of pumped about that right now too. <laughs> um, but I, I think just one of the ways to look at this is just, um, I, I think that it, it's a simpler hypothesis, first of all, to say that per, like to hold to uh, privation theory, just because we're holding on to least on like not as many ontological substances or truth makers at that point. Um, we don't need separate things to explain both good and evil. Um and so the other thing I would just say that I think our everyday experience lends itself to that. So, um, so for instance, when I say something like sex, right, what, everybody knows that's a good thing. Um, and in the Christian context, it's a good thing within marriage, right? Um, but when I say something like forcible copulation, that musters up some really bad feelings, even though it's the same act, just it's perverted in such a way that it it musters up that moral intuition, right? And I struggle to find any counterexamples to that model where there's all these good things in the world and then anything that's evil just seems to be some sort of perversion or twisting or misuse of those good things. Yeah. And so I use that as a, and I, and I find, and I like defending that because at that point then, if we want to explain moral, moral realism, we're really just trying to explain what, ex we're asking what explains goodness. Um, 
and we don't have to really try to explain the origin of evil since it doesn't have some sort of truth maker at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say then, like, well, N is going to explain these things because I would say moral facts were what we would call supervenient, supervenient facts. So then we have two choices, um, kind of like how Swinburne would say, right? We have objects and we have minds as a hypothesis. And so when we're asking a question like, well, how can the object explain moral facts? It's like, here's my phone again. And if, if I'm going to add, like, this seems like a silly question, but like, can, can this phone be selfless? No, right? Can mm -hmm. it be honest with me? No. And so then you ask like, well, why? And it doesn't, and the obvious answer is because it doesn't have some sort of consciousness to exemplify these traits. Um, so the big difference between me and a cell phone is I'm conscious the cell phone isn't. And so then we have to ask the question like, well, how does, how would it, how would some sort of necessary object, whether it's abstract or concrete, explain moral facts if it can't exemplify the facts? And so it seems like the better explanation with more predictive power would be some sort of mind. Um, and we kind of go from there. Yeah. Any, any mm -hmm. question? Like there's so much, like there's a lot to talk to you about even there. Um, mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I think it might be helpful at this point to think about like um, me hitting at this a little bit. Josh talks about this, like in this book, in his book with like Felipe Leon, like this idea of like, so we say like we can establish like moral realism is true. Then we look at like our foundation and like, are we going to say like, is it good? Is it evil? Is it maybe like indifferent or in the middle? Well, like if you're like the privation theory is true, like get that evil idea just out of the way, it's gone. Um, we're looking at like, is it good or is it something indifferent? Um, like, is it just looking to be like a rock or something like that? And I think that's helpful um, looking at this idea, like privation theory can really help us kind of like start to think more and like narrow our scope even more and thinking about like what the foundation may be like. Yeah. Um, so uh, Rasmussen, I kind of just have what Rasmussen says here, but like another way to think about this is just that positive properties can only strictly entail positive properties. And so if that foundation is necessary, is good, well then that explain that foundation doesn't explain any, any of the evil or it doesn't ground any of the evil that we might see in the world. And so now we're at this really fun place because we're at this foundation that's unlimited in power. It has goodness, and I say you can quantify goodness. So this would this would be unlimited in goodness. But because it's some, but because the best explanation of goodness is some sort of mind, it's then we're going to say that the better explanation of n is going to be that it's a mind as well. And since it's a mind, I would say it doesn't matter how smart or dumb you are, you have some sort of knowledge, right? Um, and so even if you only know one thing. It's the fact that you know you exist or your consciousness exists. Uh, the whole point here is just that minds, no matter what, can have some sort of knowledge. But if we're going to quantify mm -hmm. that knowledge per that argument from arbitrary limits, this thing would have be um, unlimited in knowledge. And so N is this mind that is omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and uh, omniscient. So... Mm -hmm. It's kind of yeah, like, I like what you're I like what you're getting and like thinking about the idea like even further, like the idea of like mind or matter, what is fundamental. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think you can go explore here even more like this idea of like 
well, we look at like our candidates, like what looks like it's more likely to be fundamental. Like, is it yep. mind or is it matter? Um, I mean, I don't want to get super in depth in it, but like to me, it seems like mind is fundamental. Like, if there's anything we know that, that exists, it's our own like conscious experience. Um, so consciousness seems to be more fundamental than like the material world. Like, we could be wrong. We could be in like the matrix or um, yeah. something like that. Um, but it seems like we can't be wrong where that our own consciousness exists. Um, so it seems like to me, like then we could say, like, well, maybe like mind is fundamental, um, and imply that even more. I'm looking at like the properties of like what the foundation is. Yeah, at that point, at that point, it's more like models of theism and. That's where it gets really fun. <laughs> That's been like more top of the mind for me lately is trying to figure out the most like, I guess the most comp not compatible, the best hypothesis of models of theism. But yeah, that's like that's like a bird's eye view. I, other steps I'd add in is just like argue from logical or mathematical realism. Um, I have friends like Travis uh, that are like kind of getting me more into teleological arguments. And I think that we could really increase uh, the strength is argument as well, but yeah, that's good. Maybe we could talk a little bit about like your like idea of like model of God and then we'll go to a little bit of Q and a, if there's questions along like things we've talked about. Um, so like, then like, maybe like, what are you thinking? Like Dan, like, do you ever preferred like model of God when you look at like the different ideas or like, what are you leaning towards? Uh, I don't plant my flag anywhere right now. Um, I'm not a classical theist. Um, I don't hold to divine simplicity. Um, it seems to me like that, at least God at the most fundamental level is identical to perfection. And then things like goodness um, and stuff like that are going to be derived from his more fundamental parts. And I use the word parts very colloquially right here. Um, and that's kind of as far as I've gotten. Um, I've been starting to lean towards like some sort of personalism Um but I, I'm not all the way there just yet either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could say like, I really struggle with classical theism because of things like the incarnation, like how yeah. can we have a God um, who suffers? Um, Cause on, on classical theism, like God can't suffer. Like I was reading mm -hmm. Augustine on this. He talks about the idea that like, um, he's very adamant, like God is impassable. God does not yep. suffer. Um, so then we can talk about like, well, how on earth did Christ suffer? Um, it just seems really hard. And I'm not saying you can't explain it, it just seems like it's going to be very hard um, to get some sort of explanation. And like, for me, like there's no like dogmas I need to hold to. Like I'm not like a Catholic or anything that like need me to adhere to classical theism. So I'm just like, okay, let's just get rid of this. Like it's yeah. not really going to hurt the idea of God being perfect to say that God could voluntarily choose to like um, become incarnate and suffer um, on our behalf. So that's where I'm at. With classical yeah. Theism, so I, 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 so I granted, I haven't looked too far into classical theism enough to, know if it is compatible with this but i like the other thing for me at least from what i do know about classical theism is i don't know how to square away some very personal experiences that i believe i've had with god um with that this really strong dds version of classical theism like you can have weaker versions of classical theism not be it might be compatible with it but you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah no i'm i'm tracking with you're saying like one of the things, like, even as I'm bringing up the incarnation, I'm not like, oh, you know, the classical theist has no explanation and it's game over. I'm just saying, like, for me, this is how I see things. Because, I mean, like, yeah. with anything we've talked about, like, there's going to be, like, counter explanations and counters and counters and counters and all the way ad infinitum. Um, so, like, it's just, like, to me, like, this is what it seems like. Uh, I'm not saying yeah. I have some sort of, like, definitive proof. Okay. Um, yeah. 
Is there anything else you want to say, Than, um, before we go to a little bit of Q and A? No, I no, I had a lot of fun here. Um, uh, for, for again, I just want to be really clear, with, like with the audience as well. Like, I'm not a philosopher. Um, I love philosophy. I love doing this kind of stuff, but I'm not a philosopher. If you're, um, if you were looking to learn a lot of stuff, go to the people that I've learned from, like Rasmussen, Proust, um, and I would even recommend like atheist philosophers like Draper, um, Oppie, and those sorts of people. Like, mm. I just really want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I mean, like to me, like, like I'm the same. I'm not like some elite like scholar or anything. Just a human being that likes to think about these things and is probably yep. long, wrong on a lot. And Oh, yeah. So we have a question here from um, John Apocalypse here, which says, um, I haven't seen you in a minute, John. It's good to see you. Um, Cubs are still tied with the Pittsburgh Pirates, just saying. Um, so he says, shouldn't the definition of goodness or love be defined by Jesus Christ, the one who came as the good and loving one, not simply abstractly? So what are your thoughts here, Dan? Yeah, so um, I don't know what – I'm kind of having a little bit of trouble answering this question or understanding it just because – it's it sounds almost like a little like precept and so for me as being somebody that might try to classify himself as an evidentialist um i want to try to approach these these topics from this more objective basis i guess if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh, especially me being somebody that like I, I wasn't always a christian so i can identify a lot with um, atheists who are looking for a more evidentialist approach to our faith. And so um, if Christianity is true, then the answer to your question is true. Yes, by all means. Um, I think Jesus, I think God himself is the the exact identity of love itself. Um, and that's been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. But if we're trying to argue, if we're trying to if we're trying to kind of help the atheist or the non-believer come along here, I think the more that we can have this conversation on a philosophical level, I think it helps them out a little bit more, but that's just kind of the way I see things. Mm-hmm. So knowing John, like he's definitely not a Calvinist or like a presuppositionalist. Okay. Um, so I think I don't, I don't fully understand John's theology and I don't understand anyone else except for my own theology. Yeah. I don't even understand that. Wasn't, that. that wasn't an insult, like, by the way. Yeah, I'm like, no. if that came off that way. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you like what I kind of think about this. Like I know John a little bit more, but like, so for me, it's like, yes, like uh, I'm totally on board with like, well, like the centrality of like understanding like love or like more tree should be in like Jesus Christ, the good mm-hmm. loving one, God incarnate. Like um, that should be like where we see when we think about like, what is love? Like, yes. Um, but then I like I'm attracted to the idea like we have some sort of like natural sense of like the divine. Um, yeah. like, we have some sort of like natural sense of like right and wrong um, and things along these lines. So then we can also like make these arguments and like have philosophical reasons. Like I don't see the two as like opposed to each other. Like if you look at it from the sense of like starting with God, like um, and starting with Jesus Christ, like surely there's some sort of like explanation still. Like you're still like adhering to like more realism. Um, so we have some sort of explanation for like why is this true. Um, and things like this is kind of what I think. So I think like we could have both. Um, and like oh, yeah. Christians, like, yeah, we need to be good Christians and like keep Christ as the center. Um, but we should also be like, I think willing and open to say like, maybe there's also arguments that can support this in addition to like um, the revelation that we've been given. Yeah. Okay. Um, great stuff. So we have another question here from Travis Lee, which says, do you think Bayesian probability or IBE is the best to argue for this case? Why? What is um, oh, the best explanation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so if I'm if I'm talking to a lay person, I find that for the lay person, it's easier to um, it's easier to kind of talk through the case through an uh, IBE sort of instance because then I, I think for them at least it's a lot easier to help them under like to, for us to get through and agree upon what theoretical virtues we want to hold our hypotheses to. And so just for that, I think I, I prefer an IBE approach. Um, but if I was a philosopher and a scholar talking to other philosophers and scholars, I would go Bayesian all the way. Yeah, that's super helpful. I think you're exactly right. Like, I think Bayesian is good for like when you're looking at like making like um like arguments like higher level and IBE is better when you're looking at like a more lower level, which doesn't mean like IBE is bad. It's just like, it's just like, it's yeah. a different context. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that's good. Um, Jonah asked a kind of joking question. Is providing evidence for God, admitting the presuppositions of atheists incoherent, who in the worldview and their sinful rebellion are suppressing their knowledge of God? Um, but there's an interesting question here, Dan. Like, what do you think about, like, as a Christian, like, ideas like Romans 1 and, like, the idea of, like, all people, like, suppressing, um, like, God and stuff? Because I've really grown in how I thought about this. I'm curious, like, what you think about um, these passages. So I, I used to read that and think that quite literally everybody did know inherently that God exists. Um, now I, th I, I, it seems to me that it's more just either Paul's like appeal to natural theology. Um, I have a hard time reconciling this. I, I, th I do think that we have the census divinitatis, the sense of divine. Um, but I also have a hard time reconciling this innate knowledge of God with, some really good friends of mine that are atheists that um, tell me they just don't see a reason to believe in God, given the arguments that they've seen and arguments that they've posed against God's existence from like atheological arguments, like the problem of evil and stuff like that. So um, I don't really plant my flag anywhere here just because I, I it's, it's hard. I don't want to psychologize people. Like the last thing mm -hmm. I want to do is assume somebody's psychological state. And so, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that seems like a non-answer, but <laughs> well, you don't have to have an answer to every question. Like that's yeah. part of being like intellectually honest. Is like, hey, yeah. I don't understand everything. I would just add, like, I really thought about this idea of resistance, like, um, maybe in a weaker version, and someone is like, oh, every atheist just like hates God. I think about resistance is like maybe like even like getting down to like different desires. So, mm -hmm. like, for example, like I've had the sinful desire to like steal. Um, God has never had that desire to steal someone else's like lunch or something like this. So in some sense, I would say since like my desires are contrary to God, like in some sense, I'm resistant to God. Um, even as a Christian now, um, like that's sin. Sin is like in some sense, like um, being resistant to God. Um, so for me, like, I think I can have some sort of like explanation where we say all people are resistant, um, but not like go to the point where we're saying like, well, everyone's irrational and things like that. Yeah. So that's where I lean towards, but I'm not like super like sold on that. So. Okay. Um, another question here from Spartan Theology. Um, this is kind of going along the lines that like John asked. Um, mm -hmm. So he said, if you start with the one place that God, if you don't start with the one place that God has truly revealed himself, Jesus Christ, how can you be confident in any conclusion um, you come to is correct? Yeah, I guess I'm still having trouble like understanding the question. Uh, can, like, like do, can you help me a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm not super like, I understand like i don't understand every nuance of like what ethan and john think but for me like there the idea is like something like where you have to start with christ um 
like f- philosophy and like things like this aren't they're not meaningless but they're not really as good of a tool as like maybe like you and i would think that they would be then um mm-hmm. like we really like as christians we really just need to start with jesus christ um and that's where we need to go and like for me like responding to ethan's question i'd be like yeah like ultimately like for a christian like the most confident and foolish revelation i can have really about anything as is in jesus christ like i'm fine mm-hmm. admitting that but then again, I just, I'm like, okay, well, I don't see that as like the end all be all. Like, for example, like we know the earth isn't six, well, you don't, we have very high credence that the earth is not 6,000 years old. Um, yeah. It seems like to me, like we're not doing like exegesis from like the teachings of Jesus to come to that conclusion. Like that's human reasoning through scientific progress. Same way, I think we could also have like philosophical progress and philosophical reasoning. Um, maybe it doesn't get us that same high credence about certain like truths as we would like maybe like the core te- teachings of Jesus. Like we can still come to these truths. I just don't see it as like the need to be like the only explanation for how we come to know like certain facts. Yeah. I, I, I guess that helps me understand the question a little bit then. Cause I, I, I guess I, I, I can understand the teachings of Jesus giving us like an epistemic tool to apprehend like moral truths and theological truths and stuff like that. Um, but my, my my main concern here is giving a justification to the non-believer that isn't convinced of Christ. Um, and so I kind of, it, it's almost like this weird separation within my, my brain, right? Like um, I, I'm kind of trying to come up with tools to help the non-believer, um, not myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for your question, Ethan and John. Really appreciate your yeah. perspective. And I, if that didn't answer stuff. your question, Ethan, like we can talk offline too. I mean, we always talk to each other. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, Dan and I, I think we both agree. Well, I don't know about Than, but we're not trying to like just destroy everyone. Maybe Than yeah. secretly is. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's about all the time we have today, Than. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up here? No, this is really fun. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be on here. Um, yeah, I, re- I just really appreciate it. And thanks for everybody that was listening to a uh, baby philosopher. <laughs> well, I think it's helpful, again, like, um, not to divide ourselves in the camps of, like, philosophers and non-philosophers. Yeah. Like, we're all people, and we yeah. see the world differently. And it's just, like, I think it's super beautiful to think about, like, there is no, like, philosopher priesthoods where they have all the answers and yeah. everyone else really can't, like, make comments that are different than them. Um, and I think that's the same that goes, like, any kind of, like, domain. Um, so I think there's something beautiful about like we see the world and sometimes being removed from topics um, also helps you to think more clearly about them and kind of have different insights if you're not like bogged down in the weeds. It's the idea like if you're staring at like that like abstract painting from like close up, mm-hmm. you're going to miss things where if you step like five steps back. So, yeah. Awesome, Dan. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I linked your channel Exploring Reality down below. So thank you so much for joining as always. If you're new here, always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And if you value your content, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. So yeah, Dan, thank you so much, man. It's been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Hope you have a good rest of your night and God bless. We'll see you next time.